switched on on F104 and I'm joined by comedian and actor Tyg Hickey. Hello. Hello, Louise. Thanks for having me back. Thank you so much for chatting to me. So you're getting ready to head to tour. You're already kind of started, but you're heading to Dublin and Ireland very soon. Yeah, so the, the following Thursday, Thursday coming, I'm in the Ulster Hall. It's a big gig for me. I've never booked somewhere that size before. I'm not sure if it'll be a mistake or not, but we'll see who's <laughs> there on the night. And uh, the following week, then I'm in Liberty Hall on the 26th in Dublin and then Cork Opera House homecoming gig on the 28th. Very nice. Uh, so yeah, looking forward to it. And this is the Marxist terrorist supporting scumbag tour. Yeah, so I try to make a virtue out of my trolls on Twitter. So, um, you know, sometimes they, they say amusing things. And uh, that was an amusing description of me. I had like, I think it was from last year. So I thought, oh, that's a nice name. That's a nice <laughs> catchy name for a tour. So, uh, yeah, I went with that. Very nice indeed. So Liberty Hall, 26th of September. But I read somewhere that this is your first solo stand up. Yeah, so like it's a funny one I suppose like I did I think I was talking to you about my play in one eye out the other which is kind of like a comedy uh play that's mm-hmm. really dark so it's kind of I felt it was kind of a little bit of stand-up but it wasn't a proper stand-up gig I'd never really done that before I've done sketch comedy live um, and I've done lots of stand-up in Cork but to actually take something on the road I've never done that before and to be quite honest with you Louise there's a kind of a snobbery in comedy where people think if you're not doing stand-up, you're not mm-hmm. like a proper comedian. Mm-hmm. So I'm really just doing this tour out of spite. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I truly love that. How do you prepare for something like this then? Can you? It's actually, you know what? It's actually great because I was just talking to my partner last night. Like anytime I've brought a play somewhere, you have the initial evening where you do the play and then you're absolute, you've no idea if it's any good or not mm-hmm. um, until you get the audience reaction. With the stand-up set, I've been trying to eke out a few little bits and patch them together over the course of about five or six months in comedy clubs around Cork and Kerry and mm-hmm. elsewhere. And uh, total trial and error, like trying to figure out what bit doesn't work and what bit does work. And the beauty of stand-up is that you get eat, you get instant feedback on your script from the audience on the night. Nice. So it's actually much easier, in my opinion. Like if you're if you're as long as you're not too scared about performing live then it's a really good editorial process, I think. Yeah, you already know whether it's going to work or not in some form. Exactly, because like I often come up with bits. This happens to me really regularly. Like I come up with bits that I think are excellent and then I do them in comedy clubs and it's brought to my attention that it's not as funny as I thought it was (laughs) or that there's a little bit in there that I didn't think was that funny and then the audience think it's funny. So it's a kind of a... Without being pretentious, it's it's a wonderful shared experience, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and the other the audience in the room are your writers. I'm also a bit of an offbeat comic as well, so I'll often just ask for feedback in the middle of sets as well. Oh, um, nice. Particularly if it's not going well, yeah, just bring people in, like get them to do the hard work for you, you know. Yeah, let me let me know what you want to hear, and I I will share with you. <laughs> so exactly, you yeah. you mentioned the play already. So in one eye, out the other. It was at one of these plays that you're approached for your memoir. Yeah, effectively, I was doing a media tour for the, I think the first iteration of it, or maybe maybe it was um, Smock Alley, but I did an interview with, with Mario Rosenstock and um, it was that and there was a few others that Deirdre, uh, Deirdre Nolan from Eru Books, she heard me talking about the alcoholism story that I had that was, I suppose, a basis of the play, mm-hmm. but I didn't go into full detail, full gory detail. Like the play is still quite surreal because I was trying to protect myself. Mm-hmm. But I suppose I was just stressing the mental illness 
aspect of alcoholism, um, which she thought wasn't really common parlance really in Ireland. And that just surprised me because it just feels like it's such a fundamentally uh, mentally ill illness, you know, that mental illness is such a big part of alcoholism. But um, but she thought that it was an unusual angle. So I was like, OK, maybe I've got something to say here that might help somebody, because, as I say, addiction and mental illness are one and the same thing for me. And I think one and the same thing for people who suffer with addiction. But it's not always viewed that way in society. So the memoir, a portrait of the piss artist as a young man. How difficult was it to, I suppose, go there when you're writing this? It was really difficult, to be honest, because as I say, I did the play and there was like 10% reality in the play and 90% fanciful surrealism. I never intended of writing the actual story um, and not to make myself out to be a hero. But when it just occurred to me through talking to Deirdre that, you know, it would have a chance of maybe helping others. They might identify themselves in the anxiety that I kind of talk about Mm -hmm. in the book that underpinned all the drinking. I thought I would go there. But yeah, it was brutally painful because you're going back into, you know, family. And I mean, one of the most difficult aspects of it is I'm fine talking about myself and all the things that I've done wrong. Like, mm-hmm. that's fine. I'm used to that in recovery. But it's very tough when you're talking about family. And like, I'm talking about my mom a lot in the book and my siblings have literally got a different, they effectively have a different mother because they have a different experience yeah. of her. I'm much, I'm much the youngest in the family. So they would know a different person than I knew. So all that stuff was really, really tricky. But I have to say it was uh, it was totally therapeutic. And I came out the other end of it with huge compassion for my mother because she would have been a drinker like myself and I would have held a lot of resentment towards her. But um, by the end of the writing process, I felt I understood her and cared about her and had compassion for her more than I ever had. How long did that take, the process of writing this? Mm, it wasn't crazy long, to be honest. I mean, I... I submitted the final draft, I think, in May and I started writing probably about November, the previous November, I'd say. So, you know, you get offered to do something and they give you an advance, which is amazing because, you know, I just wouldn't be able to afford to write it like just on my own because I got to, yeah. you know, feed myself. Of course. And um, when the advance came in, they kind of say, here's what we have in mind and here's when it's coming out. But in a way, that was great because, you know, if I had two or three years to write it, I would have taken five years, mm-hmm. you know, so... And I would have been going back over sentences. What I tried to do and the feedback I'm getting from the book so far has been really like, it's definitely the most positive feedback I've got for something that I've done. And I think that's because it's the most honest. I literally just sat down and said, you know, what would this feel like if you were just chatting to somebody in a recovery room or something or other like? Mm -hmm. Um, So I tried to make it as kind of, yeah, just ordinary and honest um, as possible. And I I think that's hopefully connecting with people yeah and obviously you had to dig quite deep for it was there anything that you learned about yourself by the end of it yeah I think I think I possibly learned to kind of have more compassion for myself as well because when I was um when I was dealing with my drinking you know I'm like eight and a half years sober now and in the process of that I looked at my behavior and I wrote down what I'd done and I talked to people who I had wronged um, and the stress in all that is that you did wrong and you have to take responsibility for what you did. And that's completely true. And it's a massive part of recovery. But in the process of writing, I suppose I got to know the kind of scared little boy that was there long before he burst open a can. Mm-hmm. And I think I had a lot of compassion for, you know, there's even a review of the book yesterday, which said, um, 
you know, you'd understand why Tyg um went down the addiction road when you kind of consider what was going on for him. And I, it's mad when someone else says it, I'm like, yeah, no, that's actually true. <laughs> so I suppose not as an excuse, because I, I think, you know, I'm not trying to make an excuse for my drinking. And I think, you know, recovery from any substance abuse is only possible when you take responsibility. Mm-hmm. But I definitely did feel compassion for that kind of scared little boy. I felt like I got to know my inner child mm-hmm. uh, through mm-hmm. the writing of the book. Um, yeah, so that was a really nice experience. Yeah, it's probably something that doesn't even dawn on you until it's kind of pointed out to you. Yeah, I felt it's funny, you know, like it was in doing a little bit of psychotherapy and definitely in writing writing the book, I connected for the first time, say, my mom's anxiety mm. and my anxiety or my mom's drinking and my drinking. I know that might sound ridiculous to people, but I never really connected them before. I just thought I have had this upbringing it hasn't been ideal and now I'm going off doing my own thing and I'm going to be brilliant. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to be this rock star and I'm totally unconnected to what had gone on before because I'd be a different type of drinker and I'd just be a different. But of course, the two things are inextricably linked, but I just had never seen it before. So, yeah, it's, you know, that the most obvious things are the things that that kind of escape you. Other people can see it very clearly, but it could be right in front of your face and you miss it. 100%. And, and the common factor, I suppose, throughout your whole journey has been comedy and and making people laugh had you always known you were funny (laughs) like not to be reductive about it but again (laughs) that was another thing I learned in the book that um you know people say there's like fight or flight and there was a psychotherapist made the point to me that there's also fawn Mm -hmm. and I never had heard this term before and I I realized that when I was a kid my mom was really anxious and for as long as I can remember I'd be trying to make her laugh like I'd be Sometimes I'd even be up in her room and she'd like, tell me a story, you know, but she knew that the story was going to be fictitious. So I could just make up random imaginary tales and they'd always have like, you know, they'd have funny characters and and punchlines and whatnot. So I think I was trying to make her laugh as a means of kind of calming her down long before I ever would have even thought of being a comedian. Then I suppose into school, you know, the way when you're in school and you're in secondary school and you're like, if you're not a jock, or if you're not, you know, you're trying to find your mm-hmm. way. And I was aware, like when we'd be on lunch break, I'd be just telling random stories again and people would be laughing. So I just thought to myself, oh, look, there's something in this, like the Joker seems to be the safest card in the pack. So I'll run with that. And then it's probably another 10 or 15 years later that I had the guts to actually get up on stage and make jokes and demand that people sit still and laugh at them. That's something I don't know how you do it, because that terrifies me even thinking about it. Yeah, well, don't say that to me now because I have a lot of gigs coming up and it terrifies You're me. You're grand, too. though. Um, You've been doing it for years. <laughs> You're well I, I have, but I tell you, like, and I don't know, this isn't a very nice thing for people to to hear, I suppose, if they're thinking of getting into it. Like, the anxiety is still there. Like, you still feel nervous before you go up. It's like, the more you practice it, I mean, it's a real craft. I think the the Canadian, the great Canadian comic, uh, Norm MacDonald, used to say, like, it's a craft rather than art you know Mm -hmm. like some people would think it's artistic I mean it is artistic too but I think what he means by it is you just have to keep crafting so that it looks like you're speaking naturally but like all this stuff is completely rehearsed and you've faced all the audiences and you've got all the miles on the clock but I did a gig to about 12 people during the storm there in Cork a couple of weeks ago because we were flyering people in off the road and there was literally no one in town and before Mm -hmm. I went up I was close to trembling so I don't think that'll ever, ever leave me. But about two or three minutes on stage and I'm fine and I'm enjoying it. See, that's um, the thing. I think yeah, you need get scared. an element of that though, don't you? To do anything like that, yeah, I think you need an element of definitely. fear. 
that's a hundred percent true actually and i found this over the years like you know if you were doing theater i've done one or two theater shows that have ended up having very long runs like you do 30 shows in edinburgh and then come and do a tour in ireland if you go out on stage and you don't feel any nerves mm. you're doomed because mm-hmm. then you're not concentrating like then you're just kind of you're just up there chatting and at any moment you can start thinking about what you're going to have for dinner or whatnot so <laughs> you have to be a little bit terrified for sure yeah. and that's definitely no problem in stand-up yeah, I don't think anyone wants to know that you're having spaghetti bolognese for dinner for some reason. <laughs> not even me, like, not even me, you know what I mean? It's depressing, like. <laughs> so the memoir, A Portrait of the Piss Artist as a Young Man, is out at the moment. And you're off on tour. The Marcus, Marxist terrorist supporting scumbag, which you're going to be in the Liberty Hall on the 26th of September. Ty Hickey, thank you so much for chatting to us. What an absolute pleasure. Anytime. Thank you so much, Louise.